Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Here we are again. It's another week on the Property Voice podcast. We're in the middle of the series, uh, Property Core Skills, and uh, it's another panel discussion. And uh, this week, we're talking about managing budgets and cash flow, uh, generally speaking, as one of the core skills. I'm really delighted to have uh, this panel, you know, a panel with me, rather, who've got various experience, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, um, over many years or over a short period of time. So we can all chip in a little bit, I'm sure. And this is all about, you know, what we do as everyday investors, uh, rather than, you know, some sort of lofty thing that you have to have, you know, what Blackstone does with their portfolio. This is what we do. So we're going to we're going to have a conversation around that. Um, I'm, I'm happy to welcome Sergio, Jeff, and Dominic as uh, my panelist guests today. Not really expecting any more, but let's see. And uh, what I thought I'd do is just allow you to introduce yourselves, just so that the listeners have got um, an image in their mind's eye, if you like, of who you are, where you come from, and so when you talk about this topic, um, it'll be more relevant and contextual. I think. So, um, Sergio, how would you like to kick us off and just say hello to everybody? Um, yeah, so um, I'm Sergio. I'm a project um, surveyor um, on my day, um, day-to-day job. I um, have worked for the last couple of years on um, a big 411 um, residential um, apartment block, and I'm currently uh, leading a project that is £26 million and uh, 126 um, apartments and on my um, personal investment, I have a small portfolio of properties um, as well, uh, HMO. So, uh, yeah, that's that's me. Great stuff, Sergio. So, yeah, you've got that sort of big ticket sort of uh, professional background, if you like, as a quantity surveyor and looking at projects all day long. And then you're probably trying to even up the scales a little bit and trying to bring the personal portfolio up to maybe, maybe somewhere up there. Right? Hopefully. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Sergio. Uh, Jeff, you're next up. Jeff Unsworth, I should say. Sergio Grandi, Jeff Unsworth. Hi, yes. I'm Jeff Unsworth. I'm a part-time IT consultant for a large multinational. Um, I spend my days off looking after my two young daughters and obviously my portfolio. Uh, I bought my first Bicelet 10 years ago to bridge the gap I saw in my pension. But now, over the last five years, I've increased my portfolio to six. Uh, mainly by select in the Northwest. Um, I mainly focus on a BRR strategy and focus on letting to low-income universal credit households. Interesting. Ah, so um, you've got some experience there, obviously, and you're doing a little project work with the BRRs. Um, so, and it's interesting with the uh, set, you know tenant sector type, because that's quite a specialist area as well. You need to know your way around that particular system, don't you? You do, and there's a lot of pitfalls. Um, but I found that with the people I'm working with, it's very satisfying. Indeed. Well, welcome, Jeff, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, Dominic, Dominic Hardy. Yes, hi, my name's Dominic. Um, I'm an IT contractor in my day job, so I have a limited company there, which I run. Um, and then I'm also an accidental that well, I started off as an accidental landlord back in 2012 um, when I moved out of my residential property into another residential, lucky enough to be able to keep the first one. Um, and then my partner moved in with me shortly after that, so we rented her property out as well. Um, so we kind of started with a very small portfolio um, back then. Um, and since then, really, I think around 2017, I thought about investing in property uh, full-time to basically replace the day job. Um, so yeah, since around 2017, I've been building my portfolio out. Um, got a small portfolio at the minute of uh, Vitalets, HMOs, um, and one holiday let actually, which we got uh, 2019, I think, just before COVID. So not the best time, but um, since the restrictions are lifted, it's, it's actually done really well. Um, yeah, so I've managed to get those through a combination of my own cash and some JVs with other people. Um, 
yeah, and then I'm just looking to, to further invest and grow my portfolio. So hopefully uh, I can do that full time. Yeah, interesting, you know, Dominic. And I guess, you know, the variety that you've got there and, you know, there could be some different accounting treatment or tax treatment uh, that we might get yeah. into potentially if we've got time with those different uh, strategies. So uh, anyway, welcome. Thank you, all of you. So we we talked before we kind of hit record officially that we you know, we could break this conversation down into, I was thinking, maybe three main segments, if you like. So, you know, how we, we might budget looking at a particular opportunity, property opportunity, you know, before we've acquired it. So that's sort of using it as a predicting tool, you know, using budgets as a predicting tool, an evaluation tool. So, you know, before we do anything, how we, how we run the numbers, crunch the numbers. And then I guess you could, um, if you have some kind of project element, you, Jeff, you talked about BRR, for example. Um, so one of the principles of BRR is that refurbishment bit. So that refurbishment bit would be a project, uh, much like Sergio's, you know, rather grand, do you like that? Rather, rather grand uh, um, schemes that he's working on um, is also, they're also projects or developments. So, you know, you could talk about the, the project phase. And then ultimately, if we're going to retain uh, properties in our portfolio, which maybe start with the first one, obviously, but then as we are, as we add to them, it becomes a portfolio. So how do you manage and track budgets and cash flow for your, you know, your ongoing rental properties and your portfolio in general? So I guess there's a timeline. There's kind of a before, a kind of a during a project phase, and then a long-term, you know, but you know, kind of portfolio management type of approach we could take here. I'm sure we're going to drift off in, into technology. I'm sure we're going to drift off a little bit into maybe accounting treatment and taxation along the way. Um, but let's maybe start that, that that first sort of subtopic. So around, you know, using, you know, some kind of budgeting tool or evaluation tool to predict what a property or a project might look like before we actually get into owning, owning that property uh, or project. So, uh, who wants to kick us off in terms of what, what sort of tools or approaches to managing budgets in that context they, they might use? Any, any takers? Yeah, I can um, start with that. Oh, sorry, Jeff, please go ahead. That's okay. um, it's, when I'm looking at a project, uh, a BRR project, I'm always looking at the, the, the final numbers, looking at what, what, what is in that area, what are the potentials, what, where do I need to go? What are the limits, ceilings for that particular area? So I always like to put those numbers in, get official uh, surveys, uh, valuations, uh, and, and then look at what they say uh, you're doing at the time. So then you've got the, then the experience of quotes and past experience of how, how you're budgeting the, the final project. So how much you're going to spend 10, 20, 30, 80,000 pounds. So. Mm. There's a couple of things there I just want to pick up on. So first thing is you put it in. So what do you put it in? Um, how do you run your numbers? It's all in Excel. It's still it's Excel, Excel for me at the moment. Um, it, it's something I've worked on for years. Some people have uh, ROI assessments and things like that. So it, it depends on, on, on what you're doing. There are, pro there are software platforms out there that do deal analysis now. Um, things like Lendlord uh, is one that I've come across that does deal analysis, and uh, I think it was um, Tamma, T T A M. Oh, sorry, P A T A. Yeah, Batman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's done some deal analysis in there as well. So there are different yeah. things, but I stick with my original spreadsheet that I created five yeah. years ago, and it works very well. And as long yeah. as you 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 account for all the numbers. <laughs> um, so that's the big thing is you, you've got to look at everything you've got to have a contingency you've got to have um, rental voids you've got to have all of those things so you never know what's going to happen in any project so having those uh, contingencies is vital couldn't agree with you anymore you know it's usually my hobby horse to, to go on about those extra items that people forget so you made the point so that I don't have to so thanks, Jeff. Um, you talked about um, the experience to be able to put accurate numbers in. Um, so what do you do when you don't have the experience? Perhaps, you know, other people could join in as well, by the way. Um, I generally ask my network 
say if somebody has an idea, like talking about a refurb, like a basement or something, generally ask somebody who knows how much it might cost to tank a basement, things like that. Um, but yeah. there are tools out there as well. Yeah, I, I can't remember what they're called now, but there are some tools out there that give you estimates and prices. Um, I'm not sure how accurate they are, to be honest. I don't, haven't tended to use them. Um, but if I'm quite far along on a deal, um, I, I also um, ask builders for quotes. I've got some good builders that I work with, so I can generally go to those uh, to get an idea, but they're not, they might not be in the area of the property that I'm uh, looking at. But, you know, if the deal's quite far and we're close to completion or, you know, or have completed, then, yeah, get builders around. Obviously, you want to do spreadsheets before complete or exchange before you go too far along. But um, I've got, I've taken pictures and stuff and drawn up a floor plan and asked builders to kind of give me a rough idea of how much they think something will cost. Yeah. Uh, we've got a QS at our midst, so, you know, um, what do you do uh, in your professional day job, Sergio? Did you just guess? He stuck his finger in the air there, by the way, everybody, just so you know. Um, hopefully my boys are here are listening to this. Um, I think it was a joke. I know, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a, yeah, it was definitely a joke. Um, obviously, budgeting is, is probably one of the most important things. Um, for us quantity surveyors and obviously after look after the money uh, once you set your budget and as, as as my colleagues were saying here so one of the things that you can do if you don't know the prices it's um, search for um, books there's there's for instance the spons um, database of prices and the RICS also has their own which is called BCIS um, so you can also refer to those. You have to pay for them, and they're not cheap. But if you're going to do this seriously, you can you can refer to them. And also, ideally, what you want to do is you want to test the market before you do your project. So get a contractor in there, whether it's a big project or a small one, and ask them to give you a cost if you have time. Um, that's, that's what I would say, more than any database book, because everything is backwards looking, whereas if you talk to a contractor, it's current data. And, you know, you can get them to commit to it if you're going to do the project within a sensible time frame, even though these days they might not want to agree to material costs, but that's a different story. Well, it is a different story, but I was just about to make that very point because, you know, I think uh, Dave, who's one of our mastermind members, posted up just um, on our group just the other day saying, what, what is everybody doing in the current climate? You know, he said, my 10% contingency has been blown away already with 30% material price increases midway through my project. You know, so um, it, it, we've got a very fluid marketplace at the moment so in terms of uh, certain materials and also to some extent labour costs as well. Um, so if, you, if you're in a project, uh, whether it's a small project, refurb project or a large development project, there's a degree of uncertainty there. So I think coming back full circle to what Jeff was saying about making provisions, you know, maybe there's a call for a greater level of provision or contingency in the current uh, market than, than perhaps it was um, just, just a year or two ago. So that's for that. As well, sorry, and what Jeff was saying about spreadsheets. I mean, when I do my analysis, I use spreadsheets as well because um, it's a lot easier to add and configure it however you like. But I also like have a, like a reasonable best and a reasonable worst case. Um, so best is like, you know, if everything goes according to plan. Um, worst is obviously, you know, some things go wrong. But if the worst still kind of comes out okay, then, yeah, you know, worst case is still hopefully going to, you know, make a profit. Yeah. And what sort of things might you flex between your best and worst? Uh, well, refurb, for instance, that's probably the big one. Um, obviously, like you said, at the minute, it's a bit hard to gauge that because, if, yeah, material prices go up 30% in the space of, I don't know, how, how many months. That's obviously something you're not really going to factor in at the outset. But um, that's one thing, obviously, you can um, increase the cost of in your worst case. Um, what else? Things like mortgage rates, um, yeah, uh, the time taken basically to, to for the project and to tenant the property afterwards if it's a BRR, things like that. You know, ideally a tenant in one month, but maybe it takes three, four months. Yeah. You've got your cost, you've got your timeline. Uh, yeah. I guess you'll have your sort of income, whether it's rent or if you're selling, you know, your sales prices. 
yeah, exactly. So maybe rent is a bit lower than you expected. Maybe the legal is a bit more for whatever reason because something else needs to be done. I mean, generally they might not flex too much, but yeah. you know, you still add a, a little bit extra on um, just to make sure the bottom line, even if things do happen, is still okay. Cool. cool. Were you going to add to that, Sergio? No, no. It's um, it's it's pretty, it's pretty um, complete. What Dominic said, time is mainly the one, isn't it? If you get delayed. Then, then you, 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 your worst case obviously becomes your likely case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think time is is a massive one. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the current climate, so costs are sort of increasing. But I think equally, you know, time is a big factor at the moment. Everybody just seems to be, you know, stretching out their timelines. Um, and of course, if you're relying on any kind of external party, not just a, a say a main contractor or a builder, you, you might be involved with planning, for example. Uh, or professionals or finance companies and everybody's being stretched so a little bit extra on you know every single one of those chunks is just stretching out the project timeline and um, if you if you're looking at a project which has got you know financing costs which is based on time and you've got holding costs which are influenced by time these extra little things can really catch you out as well so um, just watch out for for those um, just come back to what you said, um, Sergio, about you know using things like BCIS and Spons. Um, there, that's like kind of the professional end of the market and those sort of tools. There's a couple of tools, as you know, Price Your Job, I think it's called, um, which is a really useful um, resource. You can go and look online; it just gives you guideline pricing for certain uh, types of refurbishment job, and that's kind of that's quite handy. Uh, for people who are looking at, um, you know, sort of more single property, you know, refurb or just in, even small jobs within a, um, a property. That's quite useful. And then there's some costing tools as well. Um, I'm sure there's more than the one I'm going to mention, but there's Build Aviator, which is kind of a, um, you can send in your plans or designs to to them. I think they're the same company as Juicen and they will cost out your project for you based on Juicen. Uh, materials costs and, and average labour rates pr- probably pulling it in from people like BCIS and give you a, a cost estimate. Um, but it is an estimate. And, of course, you could bring in a QS. Um, you could actually hire someone in to cost out your job um, as well, uh, which I'd probably recommend if you're getting into any form of development. So there's a few ways in which we could, uh, you know, just, just move beyond our own um, senses, if you like, to get a project, you know, costed out so probably that's enough on the the front end side of it i think the main things i just want to dwell really are uh, well you picked up you know, the best and worst case scenarios having you know provisions for every cost item that could come in trying to get as accurate as possible and um and, and make those provisions that often people overlook good good stuff um so next thing is so we're going to we're, we're, it's all gone well we've got your best case project projections Dominic and we're going to buy a pro- property we're going to do a BRR project uh, Jeff because that's up your street and um, you know so so what happens then so we've we've bought the property and you know so we're not projecting we're not predicting anything anymore it's for real now so let's say we've got a project um, what what are people how are people sort of budgeting and managing their their costings and their cash flow for projects, generally speaking? Well, um, if you're talking about like forward forecasts and forward projections, um, again, when I've done that in the past, it's been spreadsheets. So um, tracked the, you know, my bank balance at the moment, income coming in versus when I expect the stage payments of the builder to go out. And obviously making sure that... Um, there's enough cash in the bank to be able to pay the builder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you, you'll set up a, a like a project budget on a spreadsheet, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, if it's a larger project, yes. You're talking about larger projects, like you know, refurb, um, you know, costly refurb. Then yeah, obviously you need to make sure that when the payments are expected to be paid, um, there's enough in the account to cover that. So obviously, you don't want to get into any other deals if we're expecting you know, a payment to have to go out to a builder, you know, that week or whatever. Yeah. Okay. What about what about the BRR man here, Jeff? What about you? What do you do? Yeah, exactly the same way as Dominic really is spreadsheets, um, having a, a, a project plan using Gantt charts, uh, 
visualizing it beforehand. So you guess you've got your project, you've got your property there, what needs doing, you've got your list, you've spoken to your builders, you've got their timelines from them and your, your estimates. So you, you put it all together and you try and compile what needs paying when and, uh, and how much you, you're going to have at the end of the week compared to the start. So a lot of contractors are very flexible on payments. Uh, if, as long as you've worked with them before, um, you, c you can extend things. But up to all the contractors I work with, the electricians, the plumbers, are all very flexible. So it, it, it's nice to know that before you start a project. But if you bring in someone new in, uh, always be upfront with them exactly what they're doing, when they need paying, uh, what percentage they need paying at what point. Uh, that's always something you need to know beforehand. Okay, cool. I'm going to ask the professional. I wonder what else we're going to get from the QS. So uh, obviously now I'm I'm actually starting um, my project. So I'm at the stage where I have the project uh, budget uh, given to me by the estimating department, which is just as we've been talking, um, just a professional guy that uh, gets a list of prices together from history, from checking with contractors, just from a few different sources and from his own experience. So once I get that, the first thing I do is test the market um, because they generally haven't had the time to do that. Because that's you know you need to put a budget together. You're going to buy a property. You want to do it fast, right? You do your estimations. So the first thing I do is is try to um, check the market for the main bulk items. You know your, your first uh, eight nine items that will make eighty percent of your budget. That Pareto rule applies to construction very much. Um, so that's what we do. And then once you get certainty of that, you adjust your best worst and lightly again. Um, and you get your new, you know, magic number and, and see if you still make money. And, and after that, yeah, it's, it's just agreeing payment terms with, with subcontractors or, or your tradesmen and, and just try to stick to the, to the program. Obviously, if you have all the cash in the world, it's great because you don't really mind. But if you have finance, that's when you need to start thinking about uh, cash drawdowns, uh, paying your contractors when you're going to get paid, so on and so forth. So, for instance, I have a client that pays me. So if I certify more to my contractors that what I get certified, it's a risk for me and my company will be cash negative. And the same applies for for, for me as an individual investor. So that's a point I'll, I like to stress, really. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to dwell on that a little bit because, you know, so we, we set up the project budget, um, as you say, um, you know, we, we test the market, um, see how real that actually is. Uh, but then I think it's a case of, well, we don't just leave it, do we? We, we have to track it against what really happens. So there's, um, I guess, to use the terminology, it's budget versus actual, you know, and get a, get a variance you know, between what we planned or what we expected to happen and what actually happens. So do, do, do we do that on our projects? Do we have a budget and an actual? Do we track both? My actual would be in my accounting package, I suppose. So obviously, um, that's tied to my bank account, the bank account, the company bank account. So, and, and the receipts, obviously, it goes into there, all the transactions. So um, that would, the outgoings would be uh, tracked there. And then can be you know reported upon, so I can compare that then to the actual initial budget estimates. And I guess that's my question: Do you actually do the comparison? Uh, maybe at the end, <laughs> afterwards. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, generally, I mean, my projects are not as big as Sergio's, so it's probably you know I don't have to track the twenty-six million pounds or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, obviously, if I'm halfway through a project and something overruns and there's another few thousand pounds, still have to pay the builder, you know? Um, but I just bear that in mind for next time, something maybe to increase the my estimates by when I'm doing the analysis. Yeah. How about you, Jeff? Do you do that comparison? Yeah, originally um, I didn't. I had the, my estimates up front and then I put everything into my accountancy package and I was happy with the numbers, so I didn't look back. But in the last three projects, definitely, I've had my my best case, worst case, probable case, and then actual case. And uh, it varies on different projects. Um, 
for example, I've just completed one and it's come in on my probable case. So right in the middle of my worst and best case ideal, there was some good things, there was some bad things. Um, there was it costs like gas points not being connected and things like that. So hence why you need the, the contingency. But then there's other things where the plasterer came in under budget um, because I ended up using a different plasterer um, because of the original one was busy and had to source others. So you, you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Um, generally, if you, if, you, if you departmentalize every single sort of resource, i.e. plastering, electric, plumbing, general building, all of those things, separate them out, uh, have a budget for each of those particular areas, then you can compare and contrast on your current project, what you've actually achieved on previous projects. Yeah, so a couple of things. So one is the compare and contrast, but including previous projects, which I think gives you that experience that you can apply next time around. Um, I think also, uh, I, I mean, I trained as an accountant, um, and, but I hate the idea of an accountant just being a bean counter, right? Who just basically says, oh, that's how much it is. You know, I've just counted those beans and you've got 30 of them. It's, that's not really very useful. You know, that's what so I get sometimes. Bean you get called bean counts. <laughs> you know, but I think just counting the beans, yes, it's useful to know how many beans you've got. But basically, for me, so like it's a case of so what? You know, so you know, what what you know, I'm counting the beans but what with what purpose? Maybe I'm looking at you, Sergio, because you probably do this quite regularly. You just said you're a bean counter, but I bet you don't just count beans, do you? What do you do with the numbers and the things that you you discover on your budgets? So the magic word for that, it's called benchmarking. And and that's just an exercise that we get to do at the end of the project. So obviously you have your budget originally, and then you have your actual with all the variations added on top, from, from which you can also learn. Because once you've done a few different projects, you tend to find that the variation percentage per account and per trade generally is similar. So you can say, okay, this is uh, ten thousand pounds for dry lining, but I know from my last ten projects the average variation account is five percent. So you should have a good idea that you have to add five percent because very likely that you're going to spend it. You don't know in which, in what, but you will spend it probably. So benchmarking is very important, um, but I don't think it gets used as much. Because once you finish a project, you're generally rolled over to the next one. And, you know, once something's done, dusted, no one's interested anymore. So um, it's, it's up to the individuals mostly, or in my case, the companies to push that um, mentality. Yeah, and I think more to the point, I think you say you're midway through a project and you're counting your beans and you've got less than you thought or more than you thought in some areas, whatever. So you talked about the plaster coming in less, for example, Jack. You know, is, can you use that information? You know, is it helpful? You know, if you start to see your budget, if you see your actual going higher than your budget, is it something you can do? Well, of course you can, um, but it depends what it affects. What I generally do is I'll either take money from contingency or do a budget transfer from somewhere where I've made money or, you know, try to buy the next package cheaper. Um, but if you're overspending and you have a limit of cash coming your way from your client or from, you know, from your bank, from the credit they've given you, there's not really that much you can do other than trying to find the money somewhere else. You know, another bank, for instance. Or, yeah, you know, and this is this is one of this is one of the ideas having a contingency because sometimes the unexpected happens and you need to be able to pay for things when they do. But so, for example, I've got a project on the go at the moment, and um, you know we we're installing a, a like a steel walkway and balcony, and um, we're talking to the contractor who's got that particular work package, and um, he he should be in he should be in construction phase at the moment. To, to make it, he's going to make it off-site and bring it to site and install it. But uh, he hasn't started the, the manufacturer, he hasn't started the construction. And so that's already pushing the timeline out because it should have started already. 
And so the, the immediate question, so when you talked about your Gantt chart earlier, Jeff, it was like my eyes were sort of lighting up a little bit. You know, if you've got your project timeline and you've got your dependencies and when things are supposed to happen, this all, this all looks great on a Gantt chart. But again, it's, it's a so what? So if you start to see it slip, like in that case I've just given as an example, I'm straight on to my team going, how can we try and not let the project timeline slip? Um, because we've got this, you know, uh, several weeks delay in this particular work package. So is there anything we can do? So I'm asking the team, can we bring back the time some, some other way? And so they're creatively thinking, well, we could maybe swap around the landscaping to do it before the installation of the walkway so that we can bring back some time that way. So, you know, they start thinking about those things. That's what I mean about can we, is it, is it meaningful? Can we do something about it once we've, we see the bean? The bean could be time, it could be money um, that we're tracking and, and it's using it for that purpose. Anybody got any additional thoughts on that? Just one quick one. You can value engineer things. Um, if you have the time, you can choose to do something different that will cost you less. Um, obviously, sometimes, but most of the times you don't have the time. But if you do, it's an option. That's another one for Dave, by the way. Dave, he's not on the call, but he did ask the question about how do I, how, I'm just going to suck it up. In my 30% materials price increase, Um well, the short answer is probably yes, but um, actually, you've just given another angle, haven't you? Because you can value engineer, as you say. Is there another way of doing this? You know, and I'm saying at the moment, there's people who are looking to buy. Maybe you know, you switch out the specification of your uh, of like a kitchen, for example. You go for an end of line unit instead of a you know modern modern unit, or you know, you go for reclaimed materials if they, if they can be used. Or you should go shopping on eBay or Facebook Marketplace or something somewhere like that. Um, and and some parts of the country, again, picking up my my steel uh, staircase example, we were lucky. And Sergio, you were involved because we had a conversation about this. And um, mo- you know, the price of steel has gone up what 80 percent in the last twelve months or something like that. But this particular um, manufacturer had I don't know how we had a source which which hadn't seen that level of price increase so we, we locked in the price with him so we, we had to do some shopping around before we found it so as you say if you've got the time you can perhaps uh, shop around and value engineer I like that phrase sometimes a false economy uh, value engineering and it's a term very very popular very trendy uh, and the declines like a lot uh, especially from main contractors, we, we 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 can do lots of things when we are buying jobs, which in reality have repercussions that might um, hinder some other areas. So, where there's value engineer, there's risks as well. Mm-hmm. Or in one case, I had a project manager working for me, and I think you know, round figures was paying about two hundred and twenty pounds a day, and. Um, he came to me one day. He said, "Well, I, I've been, you know, what, what have you done today?" So oh, I've been working really hard trying to save some money for you. Oh, great! I like the sound of that. Um, what did you do? Well, I've, I've managed to save two hundred quid. I forgot what it was. I've managed to save two hundred quid on something blinds. I can't remember. You know, I was like, uh, "Okay," and that took your day. Yeah. Oh my god! It's just <laughs> I spent two hundred and twenty pounds for him to save two two hundred pounds. So. You know, it can be a false economy. And of course, in our own case, we don't necessarily value, put a value on our own time. Um, but it does have a value. Um, and a lot of people just, just ignore that. But you should put a value on your own time as well. So it's all very well to go shopping around to get cheap screws um, somewhere else. But, you know, is it really worth it with the opportunity cost of your time? And as you say, there's other risks that can potentially come in with maybe uh, inferior quality or something like that. Cool. Anyway, um, just thinking about, is there more that we want to add in terms of managing the budgets and actuals and even cash flow on a project basis? Anything else that we should really talk about here? Okay. So we move on then. So now we've gone through predicting and managing the project. Now I think it's the case, right, we're going to let's say we've got long-term ownership of properties now. So rental properties, uh, we might start with one. We all have to start with one, uh, and but maybe we'll grow that into becoming a portfolio. Uh, what's the definition of a portfolio? Would it be two? Would it be three? Would it be four or more? But basically, once we start to have several together. So 
what are we doing around the table, um, you know, to track what's going on with the um, income and expenditure that we've got on our, on our long-term buy and hold type of properties? So for myself, I've built something in Airtable. So I've got a techie IT kind of background so I do in my day job. So I tend to like, you know, using some of the fancy tools that are out there and, you know, building my own stuff. So in Airtable, I've got, um, I think they call it a base. So I've built a base of uh, the properties, uh, mortgages, the rental income. Um, so I can see in there, I have it all kind of, streamlines every month I can go in basically I've got rent a sheet in there for rent roll so basically when I get my income in I just go in there add a new line rent roll this property and it kind of works everything out what the mortgage is what my uh, cash flow is then for that month for that property yeah so the net after the mortgage is taken out so if there are obviously sometimes additional expenses which I have to go back to waive my accounting package to, to look at but on a pure um, income Rental income minus management fees minus mortgage. I have that all in Airtable. Um, and I also have, uh, because I have some JVs with other people, it also breaks it down by percentage. So I know kind of what percentage is my profit versus somebody else's profit. Um, so in there, I can see every month quite clearly how, how each property is doing or, or over time as well, how each property is doing um, by uh, by property, by month. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite uh, useful, uh, I think, what I've built. Airtable itself. Just to clarify, so Airtable is something like a cross between a database and a spreadsheet, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fancy spreadsheet, but it's got some database features. And you, I, I'm just using the free package at the minute, so there's extra things I'd like to do. Um, and I think I have to upgrade to be able to do those. So at some point, I probably will. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, it's like it's just a um, bit of a fancy spreadsheet, a bit of a nicer spreadsheet. And then you also you mentioned. You can link between um, like the sheets easily and it can just pull things in. Like I said, so my rent roll sheet, it automatically pulls in the mortgage and everything else from other, other places, other sheets I have. Mm -hmm. But are you putting in, are you entering the data manually? Um, yes, yeah, this is one of the things I'd like to automate, which I haven't yet. So like I said, I might need to upgrade. But yeah, basically I just go in and add a new line. So I basically copy the line for the previous month and then just type in the, the, the income, that's it. Everything else is pretty much done. And I'll, I'll stick with you for a minute, Don. We'll get your whole system out, and then we'll perhaps talk okay. about what the other guys are doing. But And then you talked about you using an accounting package as well. Yes. Yes, so that is the uh, that's the books and records, right? That's, you know, the, the, the pure. Uh, that's what I use for my accounts. So that's, the, the I guess, the, the version of the truth. The, the ultimate version of the truth is the is Wave. I use Wave as uh, the accounting package. Yep. So that's... So, that's Oh, sorry, I was going to say that's uh, I loaded my bank statements into there, so that's actually then obviously what comes out of the bank account. Um, and then also my expenditure as well. So when I get a bill to pay, um, I upload the receipt into Wave and then I can track that against the transaction when it comes out. Yeah. As you said, I think you were saying before we came on air that Wave is no longer really offering uh, the service to UK customers. Is that right? I don't think so. I think they're focusing on the US because I had because um, I opened my account with them before they changed. Um, it's still open. Yes, I'm not sure. I don't think it is open to UK customers anymore. No. But, yeah. I, I kind of know it isn't because I, I used them as well for a while. I think they're offering. Is it Zoho? Um, uh, off, there was something else they wanted to transfer people to. Yes, I'm not sure. Yeah. Was. I think it's Zoho, not Soho, Zoho. So that that's an alternative. And um, do you have? Um, you said you you put you pull in your bank statements. It's not an integrated uh, feed. So that was one of the things they disabled. I think when they stopped the UK um, uh, UK customers signing up. So that was, I guess, that was partly because they didn't want to maintain some UK EU standards. I think they were just trying to focus on US, and also maybe to incentivize people to um, switch out to something else. The open banking standard, actually, yeah, so that's what they kind of disabled. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to get your system out before we could talk about other people. So you've got you're using Airtable, sort of a general management tool, using Wave as an accounting package. Yep. Uh -huh. yep. And so Air, you, Air, sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, Airtable is like my uh, um, where I am at the minute. Um, gives me a high level overview, like because I every time I get like 
income, rent income, I, I go in there and track it. So that gives me like a real-time view of um, a real-time high-level view, I should say. Income minus agencies minus rent. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. minus mortgage, yeah. But then once a month or once every two months, I'll update Wave with my bank statements and everything. And then any other expenditure on top of, you know, what I've already, uh, you know, on top of my mortgage and, you know, if agencies are deducting anything from the rent. No, obviously yep. there's other things that we need to pay for as well. That's kind of what I was getting at. So degree of automation and how what frequency. So yep. you're pulling in bank statements to upload into your accounting package and you do that perhaps once a month or once every other month by the end of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. I'm going to come back to you, Jeff, because I know that you've done a lot of research in this area, so I'm interested in hearing about that. But I'm going to go with Sergio at the minute because I know that you know, you're not if from your personal point of view, this is, you know, you don't have uh, 26 million uh, portfolio under management personally just yet. So, uh, what are you doing with your personal portfolio? To be honest, um, it's it's kind of similar in a way to what I do professionally, uh, and in a way, it's even simpler because so my accountant um, has signed me up to QuickBooks, which I'm sure. It's well known by, by everybody that has properties and has an accountant. It's either that or Shiro or Shiro? Zero. Yeah, Zero. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, it's linked to my uh, bank account, uh, my my um, um, property bank account, and, and I just track everything that way. I try to uh, label everything in a way that I understand, just so then I can see where the costs go. And where I'm spending my money, a bit of a similar way that I would do as a QS. And then you know you can uh, just just keep up to date um, that way. I don't do it monthly or bi-monthly. I think last time I did it been five months or something. But I guess if you don't have um, uh, a tight budget between your income and your expenditure, you have a bit more of a leeway um, because you know you're going to have cash. So yeah, but if you're more um, restricted, I would I would try to do it on a monthly basis. Just get that. Otherwise, it it, it adds up, and then you don't do it because it's too much. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Fair enough. So you're using uh, QuickBooks, yeah. Sorry, so pretty much QuickBooks, and you've got you've got the automated bank feed there. So I presume you're using one of the main high street banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Because that's the open banking standard that was Dominic was talking about. So uh, the accounting packages would link best. They link to several banks, not just the main high street banks, but they link best to the high street banks. So pull in the bank uh, transactions automatically populates in your accounting system. And like you say, you can label things so that it recognises it next time around. It should make it a little bit easier for you. Um, and I'm gonna, there's a key key bit missing in a minute. I'm going to come back to. But before I do, Jeff, what do you do? And and what are you looking at as well? Okay, so yeah, um, just as a, a, a initial start, the biggest mistake I made in accounting was not separating my account to, to properties accounts. So that was one of the first lessons I learned many years ago about separating accounts. Um, have I've got now a, a business account, uh, an account with uh, joint venture, and another account for another property I own. So it's, it's that's I think one key point to to stress. Um, but now uh, I currently use as uh, my accounting is a spreadsheet. That's what my accountant supports. He supports QuickBooks or Zero, and the volume of transactions I have, the spreadsheet is all I need. Um, it, it's quite simple and it, it does the job. But I have been looking at packages to, to manage my cash flow, manage my projects, manage what I'm doing. So initially, I, I looked at Property Hawk, uh, which is a, a very basic application that manages your portfolio and tracks rental income and stuff like that, which it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I needed. It didn't look right. It's looking cold now. Um, but I've been looking at Landlord and Landlord Vision and Patma um, to see how they perform. And I've done trials on all of them. And the easiest for me was Landlord. It just worked a bit better. I had the automated 
um, open banking platform you can pull things into. It's got a nice dashboard. Saying that they all have nice dashboards to, to show you what you're doing. So it, it's that's what I'm leaning towards to now. And then looking at then potentially using Zero to, to automate the actual accounting packet part of it. I do have my profit and loss columns and my expenditure and all of those things that are automated in Lendlord now, but that doesn't actually link to my spreadsheet. Um, I, I, but at the moment, it's not too big a deal to, to update that. Where I'm yeah. looking to, to automate that in the future. Yeah, and I think this this part of the conversation has really highlighted the fact that there's um, there's kind of property management systems, and then there's accounting systems, and that you know there usually needs to be kind of an interface or or separation. And Jeff, you were like giving your views about thing packages before we came on air about you know can you, can you get something that does everything or single yeah. or dancing? Um, the, the, the quick answer is no. Nothing does end to end. Um, there's a lot of packages that do things great, and they specialize in deal analysts and looking at cash flow and looking at rental payments or looking at uh, tenant management, all of those things. And all these packages do great things in some areas, but none of them do end to end. And we're still lacking, we're still a few years off being getting that ideal solution where it all integrates from the payments coming in, going to your accountancy system and looking at a nice dashboard to say, like, all my rent's paid this month and I've got nothing to do, so great. Yeah, and we haven't even touched on repairs and maintenance and that sort of thing. So, and how they get managed. So, yeah, adds another layer of complexity. And what about things like, um, you know, so when we're running our own properties, managing our own properties or portfolios, what about, you know, how do we make sure it's all going to plan? Sergio, I mean, my, I mean, my eyebrows might, might have gone up to the sky when you said, I haven't looked at mine for five months. Um, you know, so are there sort of, besides Sergio, it's pretty relaxed, obviously, but are there some standard practices that we should adopt uh, and what might they be to check everything's going according to plan? First of all, check your rental income. Make sure you have a diary of when each payment is meant to be there and double check it. Obviously I work with some local authorities. So I get emails from the local authority to say, this payment is coming to you. And several days, maybe a week later, it actually comes to me. So there's always a delay and it's something I always like to track. Usually once they've emailed you to say you've got a payment, it's there. But it's always nice to have that confirmation in your account. I've got those numbers, then therefore I can update things. Well, with Landlord, it actually updates it for me. Um, but there's the when the rent was due and when it was paid, there were two different things. I'm always getting alerts to say rent's overdue and this tenant owes you money. So it's it's not too good, but it, it's working. Yeah. And uh, Dom, you look poised to speak. Uh, no, so similar. So that was a good point. Yeah. So. Um, in a table, like my typical view in there is by month. So obviously I know, um, you know, my rent roll for the last month, how many rows there are. And then if, if I don't have the same number of rows this month, I know I'm missing a payment. So I don't put a row in there until I get a payment. So that helps me track. Um, but I was just going to extend that further when you're saying about how, um, how you know if the property is performing and whatnot. So I tend to do, I don't always do, but I try like at the end of every year, maybe to have some sort of analysis and um, work out income and expenditure um, per property. Obviously, as the portfolio grows, that's maybe getting a little bit more time-consuming. Um, so maybe we need to think of a way to automate that somehow or at least make it simpler to gather all the data. Um, but yeah, so I, I have tried to do that in the past look back over a year to see how properties have been doing. Some of that data is in Airtable. The data that's in Airtable is very easy to gather, but then it's just all the additional expenses, which uh, are in Wave. So just putting those out. Yeah, I'd say if you're expecting like regular rental income, which that's the definition of portfolio rental property, right? That's that's the big driver of our profitability. So we get paid the rent. Do we get paid it on time? Um, and it leads on to then having a process to reconcile the rent. 
So usually you have to check your bank statement and, you know, that it's landed in your accounting system. If it's not integrated, maybe it is integrated and then you can see how it's looking. But it's having a procedure uh, which picks up if there's any delay in your rent payments or missing rent payments. Um, and then that would trigger a series of actions, wouldn't it? You know, if you, if you didn't get the rent. So, Jeff, you're saying, you know, you're getting your, a lot of your rent from local authorities. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'd probably pick up the phone or something. And if uh, if it didn't come through within a reasonable period of time, but those 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 of us are looking at sort of private sector tenants, particularly, um, or you know, working tenants, you know, it's down down to them to make those payments. And if they don't make them, then we need to have a you know a, an arrears process check. You know, so if you wait, I'm not I'm not going to sort of say it too much, Sergio, but I will say it just one more time. But if you wait five months and you haven't had a rent payment in five months, it's going to be pretty difficult to collect that rent um, from that long ago. I'm sure you keep an eye on the income, by the way. Um, I kind of know you well enough. I know you well enough to know that you do that. What I meant when um, when I said I didn't have an update in five months, I meant I haven't classified all the um, transactions. Yeah. Obviously, every month on the 20th of the month, I check my account. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a notification to the phone. So as long as I know I've been paid, I've checked the statement from the um, letting agent and all that's come out of my account. It's the, uh, you know, direct debits that happen on a regular basis, then I know I don't have to worry about it. Um, so that that's what I meant. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely, um, I think, you know, after after year end for, for um, the property that's just finishing now, uh, beginning of September, what I'm planning to do is to, to get all the costs allocated to that uh, property and all income and then compare it with the estimations I did before I purchased the property. So that's something that I will do. Uh, I'm not too worried because I know it's made money, but um, I know I'm going to do it. So, um, you know, it's it's one of the things I like to do. Um, so, yeah, it will happen, but I'm just, just relaxed. Yeah, sorry. Thanks for clarifying. So I think in, in my case, I think um, I, I like to do that rent reconciliation um, every month and then that would trigger a um, you know a follow-up action or series of actions if I'm using a letting agent that's what they would tend to do if I, I've got my own internal property manager that would that would be what he does if it was me personally I, I'd pick up the phone or send an email or whatever I need to do to try and get the uh, the rent collector to understand what what the situation was nip it in the bud as soon as possible really so that's one of the main principles the other the other one is uh, I'm glad you said that I think a couple of you said you look at it at the end of the year and do a comparison about, you know, where you look at the performance of the property and maybe do a comparison about what you thought it might look like. Um, so that can be running some sort of uh, KPIs, you know, key performance indicators and just seeing the profitability, the cash flow, the other things that are important to you on a regular basis. Um, I tend to do that anyway because we all need to report for tax purposes. So I tend to do it around a similar point in time. And, um, you know, you can have a red, amber, green system. You could have a, you know, a threshold or whatever. You can just, just track some key, key data. So that's that. But um, I guess, you know, probably can't have a conversation about managing budgets and cash flow without having a little sidebar conversation about accounting, accounting policies and taxation. So what are the things to watch out for when it comes to accounting treatment and taxation uh, particularly when it comes to, well, different, you know, so we've talked about projects, we've talked about, uh, uh, you know, long-term rental, and we've talked about, you know, short-term rental, and we've also, you know, they're, they're the main things we've spoken about. So what are the things to watch out for from an accounting and tax point of view that you, you've you come across and you might caution our listeners on? I think the easiest one is um, VAT, uh, account for that, accrue for that, when you have to pay it. <laughs> If you have profits, so VAT is going to occur quite a lot in the, um, you know, uh, well. Sorry, I, I I meant VAT. I said VAT, but I meant tax. Okay. So yeah, that's yeah. Sorry. So set, you need to set aside money to pay your tax. Yeah, that's a good I'm idea. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The tax man will have his uh, his piece. Good um, point. Capital versus revenue costs, another one. 
So you need to know what they are so you can categorize those correctly in your accounting package. Mm. You got any top of the head examples? But uh, yeah, so the purchase. So I'm not, hopefully, I get it right because I, I never remember. Um, so the cost of uh, cost of financing is a is a um, what's it? Not capital a revenue cost, whereas the like uh, the other stuff like the legals and whatever is capital cost. If I remember rightly. That was the one that gets really great, to be honest with you, because you know yeah. the, the the law changed actually recently. Um, so yeah. actually, this the setup, the initial setup of your financing on purchase, so is then classed as capital. Um, yes, but your renewal would be classed as uh, revenue, um, and obviously your finance interest would be classed as revenue. Okay, but so even the initial financing cost is uh, the cost of arranging finance for the purchase yeah. is yeah. is no longer revenue. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's right. There was a recent change, fairly recent change. So this is what I mean. These are things that trip you up, you know. So you think yeah. you, you won't you you won't have to pay tax on that, you know, um, arrangement fee that the lenders charged you when you first yeah. purchased the property. But actually, you will pay income tax on that. Uh, but when you sell that property, if you sell that property, then you could offset that cost at that point in time. But of course, that might yes. be several years down the line, if ever. Yes. So yeah. it's good to track that as well, the capital costs, because and have those handy. Because, like you say, yeah, you might need those in many years' time to account yeah. for those when you sell the property. Yeah. There's what another one related to that. Um, so the one of my properties I bought um, through a purchase lease option, and the legal um, fees are generally capital costs. But because these legal fees were to acquire. Uh, the, the basically management of that property during the lease option, it, I could offset them within within that um, within that year, that tax year. So sometimes legal costs um, are are not capital for instances like that. That's right. And Jeff, I just want to bring you in just in case you've got anything in this area as well. I was just going to point out the exact same thing: is understand what is capital and what is operational costs. Yeah. They can save you a lot of money um, in, in the short term if you're getting the operational costs correct. So, for example, if you're replacing kitchens, make sure it's to the same. That's operational. Um, if you're improving things, that's just understand the difference between the two. And speak to your accountants at the end of the day. Well, I'm glad you said that because this is basically where I was going to go with it. So we could we could spend a lot of time trying to keep up. So we just talked about a change, Dominic, you know, in the rules in the last couple of years, which, you know, some of us weren't aware of. So, you know, staying on top of these things is, you know, can be a full-time job. And I think if you engage a, a, an accountant, especially a tax accountant, um, you know, they, they're usually a good accountant, which should save you their fee, really. Um, so it's, it's worth investing in having a good accountant who can look at these things and perhaps give you a bit of a, a pointer along the way so you don't get caught out. Um, but if you did want to sort of look into it, there's a few things I could, I could suggest, though. There's a couple of books out. Um, so there's, I think there's Tax Cafe, do a series. That's that's a useful one. Um, I think there's Property Tax Guide, I think it is. Uh, Shaz Nawaz has written recently, which is pretty comprehensive. And if you really want to get into nitty gritty and look at um, all sorts of tax treatment, there's um, Tax Insider, which is a monthly subscription that you can get. And that just drills down into a lot of detail. When you get really financially geeky, that could be handy. I don't know if anybody else has got any other sort of resources that they could suggest. No, not really. Uh, tax Cafe, I think, um, I think I've got one of their books. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good one. Cool, cool. So I think, you know, we've covered the ground a, a lot of term, a time, uh, no, to a large extent is what I'm trying to say um, here from, you know, predict, predict, uh, predicting, I can't get my words out. Uh, I'm not going to edit it out either. So you have to live with it, guys. Sorry about that. Uh, from predicting or projecting to managing a project to managing a pro- uh, property or portfolio. I guess I'm now thinking about wrapping up a little bit. So maybe while I'm giving you time to think, is there things that we've missed that you think we should cover and, and just want to say? Or are there any sort of top tips when it comes to, you know, managing cash flow, managing budgets that you would uh, recommend people keep in mind? You know, what would be your golden nugget takeaway thing? 
So um, I don't know who's ready to dive in with that. I'll go first. I'd say try to get your estimation and your budgets as realistic as possible. If you can't get prices from your contractors, compare the quotes. It's funny because I think I gave a similar a similar advice in the in the previous podcast recording. Um, and then, yeah, stay on top of it every month. Don't let it uh, um, sleep for two, three months because it's going to be difficult. And try to have your system set up where you can track your current versus your previous. And that, unfortunately, means linking your accounts to an Excel spreadsheet or to a system that allows you to link your budget, which is never in your accountancy um, system, to your actual costs, which all, all, all of them come from your accountancy system. So... And it's generally through a spreadsheet. Uh, that's generally how it works, and it works for us um, as a you know managing hundred million pound project, and and we still use Excel, and that's for a reason. You know everybody knows it, everybody works for it. It's very, it's very um, user friendly, and you can do everything with it. So um, that that's my tips really. Great, and other spreadsheet variations are available. <laughs> Google Sheets, for example. Cool. Thanks, Sergio. And yeah, just to reiterate Sergio's thoughts, look back, write down exactly what you've done. Take great notes. Um, one thing uh, I learned in the past was I, I missed things out. I didn't make uh, good notes. I didn't make uh, update my spreadsheet regularly enough. Um, as Sergio was saying, not looking at uh, for three, four, five months. It doesn't work like that. At the end of the tax year, you're writing all this thing down. Your memory doesn't work that well, and you'll miss things out. So every time you get something in, write it down. Every time you pay something out, write it down. And that's the, the principle I work on now. Sounds good. And Dominic? Yeah, the guys already said... Stolen your thunder. Yeah, <laughs> be, be organised, I was going to say. So, I don't know, systemize or get something in the calendar to... Um, upload your seats into whatever package you use and, and categorize because you're yeah, in six months' time or the end of the tax year, if you leave it that long, you're not going to remember what half the stuff is and you're going to probably forget expenditure um, and then obviously not account for it and lose out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, whatever works for yourself. You know, if you want to put a reminder in your calendar every month to upload your statements and go through and upload your seats and reconcile or, yeah, if you've got some other uh, method, um, but I'd just say, yeah, be organised. It's a lot easier to do things as you go along rather than right at the very end. And I learned that the hard way because I used to have like what I call a weekend from hell, you know, once a year where I basically sit down and go through all of my records and, and, and you know, my accountant would be screaming for them so that they could submit for, you know, the tax returns, etc. And I'd literally sit there uh, with piles of paper around me well, for each property. And, and I, it would just be a horrible weekend um, where I would do all of that because, you know, uh, even though I'm in a, a kind of accountancy trained, I, I just hate the discipline of doing that. So that's kind of taught me something which is, you know, uh, if I can't be that organised myself, then really I need to get, get someone around me who is organised enough to do that for me. So bring in a bookkeeper, use the system, use some of the integration tools. Don't be afraid to pay a little bit extra, uh, maybe for a subscription, which gives you automatic feeds, or a bookkeeper who can just stay on top of things, just, you know, maybe every quarter, depending on what you've got. Uh, and if you, you know, unless you really have got that discipline to sit down and do it yourself. So that would be my sort of biggest takeaway. It's more, it's more do as I say, rather than what I did. Um, but, you know, some painful weekends in January were had a year after year <laughs> until kind of finally got, you know, to, to understand the value in, in being disciplined, but recognizing that perhaps, you know, I've got different skill set. And then so bring other people around me who've got that kind of skill set and can and spend that time. So that's my little one as well. So um, I think there's probably more we can, like all of these topics, you know, discuss. Um, I don't know if anybody's got any parting thoughts. Um, put your hand up if you have. Otherwise, I'm going to do a little bit of a wrap up. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate appreciate it. I can't speak today. Um, I've been I've been in Iceland. Maybe it's the Icelandic I've been speaking for the last two weeks. I don't know. Um, so Sergio, Jeff, and Dominic, I appreciate you joining me on the panel this week talking about managing uh, cash flow and budgets in property. 
it's been it's been fascinating as ever. I think the, hopefully this has got some value out of that. Um, and you know, I'll put your contacts in the show notes if you're happy to share them. If not, no problem at all. Um, and I'm just going to do this sort of wrap up now. The, the the show notes are going to be available at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. If you'd like to talk to me about anything from today's show about property more generally, you can reach me podcast at propertyvoice.net. Perhaps if you'd like to connect with one of the guests, if they're happy to do so, you can perhaps come through me as well. And I'll be happy to make an introduction. So um, all that remains is to say thanks again for listening this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Jia Jia. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.